0: Quarterly
1: Report my host,
0: Armand Lee.
1: 49 weeks. I can't believe it, but we've been doing this show for 49 episodes. And I thank each and every one of you all for checking in and rocking with me for The Quarterly Report. Obviously, I am your host, Armand Lee. We've got a really great show. Not just because we are one week away from our 50th episode, but I'm dedicating this show. This is a special show for me because I'm dedicating it to the memory of my beautiful Grandmother Miss Gingerie Moore, you know, she went on home last week. So, we're going to honor her and her spirit with this show. But we're also going to have a fun and fantastic show because my cousin Sadiq Abdul is returning and he is again going to let me and you all know whether I'm tripping or not as he answers some of the questions or responds to some of the topics that I will be discussing on this week's episode. Plus, We all have fallen in love with the Infinity War trailer, but I'm going to tell you what Marvel has gotten wrong recently. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this first quarter. When you talk about the NBA, you know, you always hear about the same old, you know, the same old teams, right? Cleveland or whatever team LeBron is playing for. and Golden State and Houston now. Like, they've kind of emerged as the third team when you discuss the NBA, but the NBA this year is full of like really fantastic, really amazing storylines. Whether you're talking about Portland, Philadelphia, uh, Toronto, Utah, but one team that is also falling under the radar, you know, has been the Minnesota Timberwolves before this season, the longest playoff drought in the NBA belongs to the T wolves. And this year they're obviously going to end that. And that's super dope, man. And what, What Minnesota is working with this year is a success. You know, it paid off. We're going to touch on some of that in the second topic. But despite the success that Timberwolves are facing, they have been caught up in a little bit of a a side drama, if you will, right? A little side act to kind of distract, especially national, you know, pundits from the success that they've had this year. And it all stems from... One, Andrew Wiggins. Now, you guys obviously know who he is. He's a former number one overall pick. He came into college, he went to Kansas, had all this hype. Everybody was calling him the next LeBron James, and he's the Canadian LeBron, and all this other stuff. And, you know, full disclosure, I've been a little critical of Andrew Wiggins, even from the beginning, because, you know, I've talked about this in the past. I'm not a fan of comparing high school kids to nba legends. You know, calling calling Andrew Wiggins, you know, the next Andre Iguodala, that's one thing. Saying that he's going to be the next LeBron James, like come on. You know, that's that's a bit much, right? But let me let me tell you what Andrew Wiggins did recently that has me pulling out my my old friend, you know, old reliable angry man to to say these magical five words, man sit your ass down yes ladies and gentlemen Andrew Wiggins man sit your ass down sit your ass sit your Canadian ass down let me tell you why Andrew Wiggins has gotten the wrath of Angry Man despite the fact that Minnesota is about to end their I believe 15 year playoff drought despite the fact that Andrew Wiggins just signed, just signed a lucrative, I believe $142 million contract extension. Despite the fact that Andrew Wiggins is currently in the midst of his best season, both professionally, individually, and as a team, reports out of Minnesota are that he has expressed displeasure being the third option on the Timberwolves. Sit your ass down, Andrew Wiggins. Slim. What what is the problem? Think of it like this. And I get it. Like if you are a competitor for a living, if you are, if you are paid, right? If your work is to compete, and not just compete in the in the broad sense of the term, but actually you get paid on wins and losses. You are compared to players, you are peers. With all these guys, I understand why you're not going to be like, you know what, I'm not better than him. So I'm not knocking him for that. But everybody who watches basketball understands that Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler are better basketball players than Andrew Wiggins. So I got to ask Wiggins, why are you upset being the third option when you're clearly the third best player? You know, oftentimes, and I, and I, and I, dislike this about sports and or how sports are covered oftentimes because people act as if athletes aren't humans as well you know what i mean because there are these amazing athletes and they're young and they're making a lot of money and they do things that many of us can never even imagine doing right and they and they do it they do what we do as a hobby and they do it for a living you know it just seems just sometimes beyond the realm of imagination. So because of that, we unfairly oftentimes don't think of these guys as regular humans. You know, they feel and they think and they, you know, they endure. You know, everybody on a team, aren't, they're not friends. Just like you're not friends with all your coworkers, it'd be foolish to think that all these guys get along. Right? You don't like all your bosses. So it's foolish to think that all these guys like all their bosses. Right? We oftentimes, I try to, you know, kind of um, provide analogies for these athletes and these sports topics and break it down to like a common denominator for all of us that we all can kind of understand because these are all, in many instances, situations that we've been through, but it's just amplified because the scale is so magnified. So, but that goes both ways. With Andrew Wiggins, imagine you're in sales. Imagine. You're a teacher. Imagine you're in production or you're an artist or whatever the case may be. And there are two. Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler are two of the best 15 to 20 players in this league. So being third behind those guys is not a knock. Most players in the NBA would be a third option behind Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler. It's just kind of how it works. You got two of the best. But imagine if you're in sales and your, your immediate team or your district or whatever, however you break it down, you've got two of the best salesmen in the world, in the world, in your immediate district, right? On your immediate team, whatever the, however you break it down, right? Working alongside of you. And you, you are, are good at your job, but you're just third. Imagine being upset at being third when you're clearly the third best at sales, <laughs> right? Imagine being a, a, an author who's clearly the third best author in whatever, you know, publishing uh, company that you belong to or agency that you may be in and being upset all the while you're getting paid more than the other two. Cause remember he just signed his contract. Towns is still on the rookie deal and Jimmy got his money before the big uh, NBA TV deal. So Andrew Wiggins deal will be paying him more than the other two. So he's getting paid more than the other two and you're having success. The most success you've ever had as a professional. And I don't believe in coincidence. I've said this in the past. So it doesn't, it doesn't escape me, right? That, the moment you're a third option is the moment you will start having success. Imagine that and then being upset. What the hell is wrong with Andrew Wiggins? I don't know what they doing in Canada. You know, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Shout out to Drake. Shout out to Cardinal Official, all them dudes, man. Wayne Grisky. What's happening? But bro, what are you doing, Andrew Wiggins? I, I, I don't understand it on any level. On any level, you're getting paid. Look, I have to be careful because I've been critical. I don't think, I, I've never been a huge fan of Andrew Wiggins, okay? Remember when he came in and everybody was talking about how on day one, Andrew Wiggins would be this elite defender? We're in year four and he's still a bad defender, okay? And, you know, he's young. One of the biggest mistakes I've done in terms of giving a voicing opinion or analyzing sports. And I've mentioned this before is my criticism of Bradley bill. Okay. Now I wasn't wrong in the moment. If you look at Bradley bills, first four seasons in the league, he he was underperforming. Okay. His field goal percentages was low. His turnovers were too high. His defense was below par. And I said, when the wizards gave him that contract, I'm like, this is a mistake because he hasn't developed the way you would want a young player to develop. However, while my analysis of his first four seasons were spot on, my my error was projecting. And Andrew Wiggins is still young and the problem was just because Bradley Beal was slow to develop doesn't mean that he he didn't he obviously still developed. And now he's one of the better players in the league. So of course Andrew Wiggins despite the fact that he's had some underwhelming, you know, seasons thus far, He's still young. He's still super small. He's still super young, I should say. So I have to be careful criticizing him or projecting what I think he will end up being or becoming. Because he's still young, just like Bradley Bill, he could develop. Some guys just develop slower than others. And that's okay, right? That's part of the bargain when you're drafting 18-year-olds. It's going to happen. But damn it, just because your basketball game develops slow doesn't mean that your common sense should. Bro, you just signed a and forty-some odd million-dollar contract. You're about to make the playoffs. You are are one of the better third options in this league if you just accept that role. But, Slim, you got to know. Somebody around you has to know. If you want to take more shots than Jimmy Butler, if you want to take more shots than Carl Anthony Towns, Slim, everybody in your life needs to tell you to shut up and sit down. Not just me. So, you know what? This is my good deed of the day. You understand? Because I enjoy watching Minnesota play in the playoffs. I enjoy it. They're fun. I remember, you know, I'm, 30, I'm 35. I remember when Stefan Marbury and KG were playing in Mini when they were young. And that whole atmosphere, with God bless the dead, with Flip Saunders. You know, that was fun seeing those fans in Mini go crazy. I remember KG saying it was a zoo. At the Target Center, at that point, it may still be called the Target Center now. So you know, I'm excited that Minnesota that not only do they play a fun style of basketball, but their their fans are going to be rewarded after almost 16 years, almost a decade, a decade and a half about without a playoffs. They're going to finally be rewarded, but they're going to be distracted because Andrew Wiggins is unhappy because he's rightly placed behind two guys who are better than him. Man, angry man, holla at Andrew Wiggins one more time. Man, sit your ass down. Sit your Canadian ass down. Get some hang time on your cornrows and sit down, man. Out your damn mind, bro. Ugh. All right, guys. We're going to keep the show moving. But before we do, remember, you can get in contact with the show. You can email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at us at quarterly show that's q-u-a-r-t-e-r-l-e-e show let me know your thoughts whether you agree with me and my criticism of andrew wiggins or maybe you're a t-wolves fan and you love andrew wiggins and telling me i need to chill either way i'm down i want to hear your guys' thoughts but you're going to continue to hear my thoughts with our second topic this week second quarter tanking is one of those few topics or theories that when you write it down or when you talk about it on paper or whatever, it makes a lot of sense. You know, the best players are drafted at the top of the draft. And the odds of getting one of the top picks are increased the more losses you have, right? So if you're not in contention of winning, you should lose as many games as you can to get the opportunity to have an increased increased opportunity to draft one of these top players right when just saying it or writing it down or just thinking about it the idea makes sense however in application it's just a tough sell in fact i have said several times on this program and if you follow us on twitter you've seen my thoughts on it as well tanking the more and more you actually think about it then less and less likely it is that it makes sense I'm not going to say that tanking never works. I don't, I don't believe in speaking in absolutes. And I think at the core, at, at its core, building a team, building a team who can compete for a championship and building a team that can ultimately win a championship, all of these things are hard. They're difficult. So I will never rule out tanking, but it has to be a last resort. And the idea of tanking, it's growing. And what happens is I, I start questioning, like, do people really think this thing out? Because, again, when you just say it, when you talk about it, when you write it down, the idea of tanking. Yeah. Right. Sure. Of course, it, you, it's convincing. But where's the evidence? Here's a question to all of you pro tankers out there. and an honest question. When was the last time that tanking actually worked? not working in terms of just getting to the playoffs, but when was the last time a team that went to a championship, that won a championship, or is consistently a 50-plus win team who advances in the playoffs routinely, when was the last time tanking worked? Because if we all think that tanking is this amazing idea, then obviously the proof is in the pudding. We get results. You know, if I told you guys, hey, man, you guys got to go on this new Pizza Hut diet where you just eat pizza all day for 17 days straight and you'll get six-pack abs, right? If I told you, man, you got to go on this new uh, Snapple diet where all you do is drink Snapple and it decreases your chance for uh, life-threatening disease or whatever the case may be. At some point, someone's going to be like, okay, let me see the results. I'm not just going to take your word for it. So where are the results? Philadelphia. If you, if, if you at home said, okay, well, the Sixers. The Sixers are the most recent uh, team to tank. And yes, the Sixers, their uh, style of tanking has worked. But remember, this, the Sixers didn't just tank once. The Sixers went all in three years in a row of going out of their way to lose. Okay? It was so bad. That the NBA had to step in and fire the guy who was the visionary. And again, I didn't think he was he deserved it. I think Sam Hankey had a plan and he 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 set to that plan. But that plan wasn't to be bad to get one player. That bad that, that plan wasn't to be bad to get two players. He was trying to stockpile as many players who he thought were talented or had an op- opportunity of being amazing players. So it didn't, it didn't draft and beat him like, okay. It wasn't, okay, we'll get uh, Okafor, Jaleel Okafor, okay, or Dario Saric, okay, right? It was over and over and over again. And now, yes, it has worked out. But think about it. In the time it has taken Philadelphia to tank or the process, if you will, look at Toronto. Toronto was bad when Philadelphia was bad. They didn't go through a process. You know what they did? They hired one of the best GMs in the league. In Toronto, while Philadelphia was still going through the process, Toronto has already been to a conference championship and has been the third best team in the NBA all season long. Now, I don't trust Toronto as far as I can throw them, but that means something. Consistently winning 50 games, developing two all-stars. DeMar DeRozan is now one of the best players in the league. I don't know if that happens if you're going out trying to lose. Look, winning in the NBA is hard enough when you are trying to win. It is hard to win. It is hard to maintain a winning culture. It is hard to advance in the playoffs, and it is damn hard to win a championship. So now you're telling me you're going to actively try to lose? And get this, right? Let's say you take to get one of the better players in the, in the league, right? I don't know of another player who was as dominant, right? Who what? What player coming out of college was more coveted than Anthony Davis? Anthony Davis, when he was in Kentucky, everybody knew like this guy is the real deal, okay? We knew it and Anthony Davis is one of the rare occurrences where he outperforms the hype Everybody was singing Anthony Davis's praises while he was in Kentucky. And he has somehow been better than advertised. How many playoff games, forget how many championships, forget how many finals appearances or conference finals appearances or playoff series wins. How many playoff games has Anthony Davis won in what? Six seasons now? Zero. Zero. Zero, and it's not because of him. It's not him. He's one of the best players in the league. Every team in the NBA would love, would love to have Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis would improve every single team. Gordon State, you don't think they could get better? Put Anthony Davis there. Even if you took off Draymond Green, Anthony Davis makes them better. He makes every team better. And yet he can't win a playoff game. And you want to know why? Because it's not his fault. It's his team's fault. You can't actively go about losing. And remember, there are a bunch of teams trying to lose too. So you are competing to lose. And then you get the player. You get the player who actually, right? We're not talking about the guys. Imagine tanking for Anthony Bennett or Andrea Bargnani or Andrew Bogut the idea of tanking is, so, is such a gamble because you can tank, and the and that may just not be the right year, you know? But imagine tanking, and it is the right year, and you actually get Anthony Davis, but it's so hard to reverse course. You are going out of your way to lose, and you think just because you get an 18-year-old that that's going to change everything? Listen to how crazy that sounds. I got in a back-and-forth this past weekend with like a, a, a big-time NBA personality on Twitter, right? I'm not going to say the person's name or his Twitter handle, but I promise you, if you love the NBA and you're on Twitter, you probably have at least retweeted this guy, if not already follow him. And he was telling me about, you know, it started by him uh, quoting Rudy Gobert. The Utah Jazz are another team, right, who have gotten really good without taking and he quoted Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert was saying, you know what? We lost Gordon Hayward last year, and I'm so glad I worked for an organization that is devoted to a winning culture, meaning he's glad that they didn't try to tank this season because they lost an all-star in Gordon Hayward, right? So he, his quote was, I'm glad I play for a winning team that pre- that appreciates a winning and tries to develop a winning culture. And this guy on Twitter quoted that tweet by saying, Having a winning culture is fine, but it helps or it prevents you from having the possibility of drafting a 19-year-old potential 10-time All-Star. And I couldn't argue, I, I just couldn't disagree with that more. And that concept seems to be breeding, like it's growing. And it just doesn't make sense. This guy was talking about the Utah Jazz. Rudy Gobert was drafted in the 20s. Rudy Gobert is one of the best 10 to 12 players in the league. The Utah Jazz won 50 games last season and went to the second round. And guess who they drafted in last year's draft? Donovan Mitchell. Okay? Donovan Mitchell. So take just look at the, the players in the Western Conference, the young players. So When I say young, I mean 24 and under. In the Western Conference, who outside of Carl Anthony Towns because I think Anthony Davis now is 25. So 24 and under. In the Western Conference, who outside of Carl Anthony Towns has a better shot at being a 10-time All-Star than Donovan Mitchell? So you're basically using a team that has done it twice. Right? That winning coach, in those games, these games that Donovan Mitchell is playing now, where they're actually fighting not just for playoff positioning, but they they could still miss the playoffs. Every single possession, every single screen, every dribble, every decision, every practice. All of that matters, and that helps develop a winning culture. So five years down the line, when Rudy Gobert is like 29 and Donovan Mitchell is 27, they absolutely could be playing for a championship culture, and Donovan Mitchell could absolutely be a 10-time all-star after all things are said and done. So why would, you dis- why would you think tanking hurts you from doing that? And obviously, like, the, the response is, all- you, can, you can imagine. Oh, well, the Utah Jazz, they, they are a unicorn. They are the exception. Are they? Toronto, like I said, Toronto has been the third best team in the league all year long. They didn't tank to get DeMar DeRozan. They didn't tank to get Kyle Lowry. The Houston Rockets, they've got the best record in the league all season long. They didn't tank to get James Harden. They didn't tank to get Chris Paul. They didn't tank to get Clint Capella. The Golden State Warriors, they drafted Steph Curry with the 7th pick in the draft. You don't tank to get number 7. Nobody tanked for Steph Curry. Klay Thompson was drafted with what, the 11th pick, the 10th pick? Draymond Green was a 2nd rounder. They didn't tank for any of their core. So what are you talking like? What are people talking about? But you, when you bring up Golden State, what do they say? Oh man, they're an outlier. You can't, you can't use Golden State as an example. Oh, uh, they're an outlier. So then you ask them, okay, well give me an example. If you are pro tank, give me an example of where it worked. And they say Philadelphia. But we've already addressed that. In the time it took Philadelphia to to, to complete the process if you will, Toronto and Boston have been bad and have gotten better and have been to conference championships and a faster time than it took Philadelphia to just make the playoffs in the time it took the process to complete Boston and Toronto rebuilt and have made the conference championship. And if any team has as bright of a future as Philadelphia, who is it? It's Boston. So don't tell me you have to tank. But let's say, okay, you say Philadelphia, that's your one. I can name you seven. Give me another one. What do they say? They say Cleveland, okay? And ask yourself this question. Seriously, if you are a pro tanker, if you you believe that tanking is the answer, if tanking is the way, if that's, in your opinion, the best way to build a championship roster, to go from bad to great, you have to tank. If that is how you feel, And you look at Cleveland as like the the beacon. of That's the blueprint. And you dismiss it when someone brings up Golden State as a way not to tank. If you think Golden State is an outlier, ask yourself this question. For Cleveland, and they absolutely tanked in the 2002-2003 season. They knew LeBron was coming out, going straight to the league out of high school, and they tanked for LeBron James. But ask yourself this question. What's more of an outlier? What's more of a quote-unquote unicorn? What's more of an exception? LeBron James, even if you are his biggest critic, at this point, no one will argue. is one of the five greatest basketball players to ever live, and I am being conservative. What's more of a realistic blueprint? Draft one of the five greatest players to ever play basketball who just, by the way, happens to be born miles outside of your city a city that is known nationwide for their losing, not just in basketball, but in every sport that they play. They have historic losses. Everyone knows about how much that town is a loser. So you draft him, and he lives up to the hype. In fact, he he outperforms the hype. But you draft him, and you take for him, and you're like, this is the guy. You are going to be the one. That changes everything. So he develops the Messiah complex. To the point where he he tattoos the chosen one across his back. And you have great success. But you know what? You don't support him with anything. You have an awful general manager. You give him awful teammates. You don't give him a great head coach. He still hasn't had a great head coach while playing for your organization. And he's got all this pressure because you have gone six years now saying you are the one you are the guy who's going to turn it around nothing else just you so he gets tired he gives you he gives you seven great years and has nothing to show for it and has immense pressure so he leaves he leaves you and wins multiple championships for another team you take for the one of the five greatest basketball players ever you gave him a Messiah complex because you told him only you, you and you alone, are going to give us a championship. You don't give him any talent. You don't give him any great head coaches. You don't give him any great uh, general managers. So he leaves. But he comes back because, again, he was born miles outside of your city, and he has a sense of home. So he comes back. Oh, and you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention. In the four years that he was gone, you win the lottery three times. You win the NBA draft lottery three times and two of those picks that, or through those times you won the lottery, you trade for another all-NBA player. So when he comes back, he has two other young top NBA players on his team. You think that's an easier route to duplicate than what Golden State did by drafting a great player at seven, a great player at 10, and a great player in the 30s? Get out of here. Don't talk to me about Golden State being an outlier. Don't tell me how many things had to go right for Houston to get James Harden. Don't talk to me about Utah being a unicorn situation or Toronto or Boston or Portland. You just keep on going down the list. Look at the teams in the league. The Wizards. The Wizards had a number one draft pick, but they didn't tank for John Wall. Gilbert Arenas got arrested. Miami. Miami hasn't tanked. We talked about Andrew Wiggins in the first round or in the first quarter. The Timberwolves got better. They got two number one picks on their team, but it's not a coincidence that they the year they finally end their drought is because they traded for a veteran. They traded for one of the best 15 players in the league. Tanking didn't help that. Jimmy Butler who, by the way, was drafted in the 20s. Kawhi Leonard, drafted outside of the lottery. Rudy Gobert. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Think of the best players in this league. They either were drafted late in the first round, drafted in the second round, or they left the team that tanked to get them in free agency. Kyrie Irving, ring a bell, forced his way out of Cleveland. Chris Paul forced his way out of two teams. James Harden, traded. Kevin Durant, left in free agency. LeBron James, left in free agency. You starting to, to pick a trend? And guess what? If you're a Pelicans fan, if you're a Bucks fan, you better start winning. Because those Anthony Davis and Giannis kupo, as soon as they get a chance to leave, if you haven't built a winning culture, they're going to find one outside of their cities that they're playing in now. Don't by the hype. If you are one of these people who think a winning culture hurts you, what are you smoking? What could you possibly think? How does, how does your brain function? To quote the great Herm Edwards you play to win the game. You could have taken for the great one of the greatest basketball players of all time and LeBron James and then you get mad and you burn his jersey when he leaves you because you haven't surrounded him with talent. It's hard to win in the NBA. It is even harder when you are actively trying to lose. Get your mind right, yo. It's amazing how many people think that taking is the key. That is a sucker born every minute, apparently. Man, I I was feeling that one, y'all. I was going back and forth on Twitter, man. If you, I think I was on my personal account, but you gotta follow the show over on Twitter We're at Quarterly. Q U A R T E R L E E Show, and I'd be going for it, man, because you know I just love this stuff. But we gotta, we gotta have a certain level of intellect because again, the proof is in the pudding. I gave you two teams, Cleveland and Philadelphia. Where else has it worked? Because I just named you a bunch of teams currently playing right now. Oklahoma City ain't tank. They didn't tank to get Paul George. They didn't tank to get Stephen Adams. They didn't tank to get Russell. The Spurs. The Spurs don't tank. When does tanking work? <laughs> Let me know this. And if you come up with the answer, email me at the show, quarterlyreport at gmail.com because each and every, or every other week, I should say, we have a segment called Stoppage Time. And we're in halftime now. You heard the horn. But before we get to halftime, we're going to take a letter from one of the fans, one of the people who listen to the show. You can contact me, ask me any questions you want, give me my thoughts, or you can argue with something that I've said that you disagree with. Whatever the case, I just want to hear from you guys and interact with you all because I think you guys are a part of the show. I want to make this a community type of atmosphere and that you guys have an active role into the show. And I really appreciate you all for checking and listening to me. And this um, letter comes from Jody from Scranton. Uh, it doesn't say the state of Scranton. I think that's what, Pennsylvania? Maybe he's Jersey. But uh, Jody says, he has to give me a big time thank you because our advice on the show two weeks ago with my guy Troy Macker helped him win his, um, or helped him currently win or lead his office tournament pool. So Jody says, thank you guys for the tips. I took your Loyola Chicago advice. And as we stand right now, I am currently leading my work tournament pool. Hopefully I can get this cash. Thanks again. So Jody, shout out to you. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that it worked out for you, but you know what? I'm going to take the time right now. And and just allow me a, a moment to flex, if you will, right? Just give me a little bit of time. Because I don't do this, and if you don't celebrate your wins, who else will, right? This is the 49th episode of The Quarterly Report, and I love the show, man. And I'm so happy that you guys listen and interact and ride with it. But over the course of the year, because, I, I you know, I, you get caught up in these things, but I want y'all to know how much I, how much love I got for y'all, man, and how much I really appreciate doing this thing, and how much I get right. I remember one of the first episodes we did. I was saying, you know, there was a lot of hip hop albums coming out and everybody was talking about instantly, yo, this is a classic. This is a classic. And I warned them. And so I was like, yo, you can like something, but let's chill. And it was right when Kendrick dropped down. And I was like, yo, you can't know if something is a classic if you only heard it twice or a handful of times, whatever. You can't know something is a classic in 24 hours. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure enough, Damn came out in that moment. Oh, Kendrick dropped another classic. da 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 And I don't hate Kendrick. But how can you know something is a classic? Classic means it stands the test of time. To stand the test of time, you have to test it with time. (laughs) You feel me? But that wasn't just it. Over the summer, I was like, yo, the NFL, they're going through a lot of controversy. Some of them, many of them self-inflicted. And I was like, you know what? The XFL, man. The XFL watch. They should come back. Not only did the XFL come back, but the guy who did the documentary on the XFL is bringing his own pro football league too. What is it? The A the A AI, the AIF, the AFA, something like that. So we've got two leagues in the next 2 years that are going to be coming not as a direct competitor of the NFL, but to give or to, to, to hopefully see what the NFL did wrong and then sidestep those potholes and provide a, a another organization for people to enjoy professional football. And I had that thing. You know what else I had? Remember when I was talking about the University of Miami and they had the turnover chain? I was like, man, that's dope. Let them have this. But some lames out there are going to try to bite it. The very next weekend, Oregon came out with their own Lame-ass turnover chain. Fake bootleg-looking thing, man. I had that, too. But nothing was better than two weeks ago when my guy, again, Troy Macker. Make sure you check out his podcast, the March Only Podcast. He came on the show, and not only did he tell you about Loyola of Chicago, who are now in the Sweet Six team, has the whole sports world caught up. You know, they got the nun, the whole nine, man. They're America's darlings. But he also told you, not to trust Virginia. He told you that Virginia would not make it to the Final Four. In fact, he didn't think that they would advance, And they lost the first time ever. The first time in NCAA tournament history. A number one seed lost to a 16 seed. I gave y'all that, baby. Understand, I love you. Understand, I love you. I'm trying to help y'all win y'all tournament brackets. You know, the whole nine. So, again, this is just a little time that I want to take for myself to pat myself on the back just to flex a little bit. Not because I like to hear my voice, which I kind of do, but because I want to let y'all know how much I love y'all, man, and how much I really put and invest into this show. I'm not just going to have anybody up here talking. I'm not just going to run my mouth just to talk. I'm really trying to put something out there, man. And the people that I bring on the show, they know what they're talking about, man. And you can flip that. If you had a bracket, maybe your pocket's a little fatter, right? Or maybe you're hurt because you have Virginia winning the whole damn thing. Either or, hopefully you enjoyed the, the 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 conversation on the podcast, the skits, the whole nine. And Jody, to your point, congratulations. I'm glad you took our advice. And, man, I hope you win that money, bro. Or, you know, Jody's one of those, it could be either or. So, Jody, I hope you win, you know. All right, guys. So that stop is time. And we're done with the first half of the show. So you know that means the halftime is coming up. And this week on halftime, there was a huge event on radio slash social media last week. And by the time I had already made the show, this started popping off. So I couldn't just make like, I couldn't insert it into last week's show. And what I'm talking about is the Breakfast Club, man. If you, if you know anything about entertainment nowadays, you, you've paid attention to the Breakfast Club. And last week, DJ Envy, one of the hosts... He had a bit of a meltdown, man. He had a meltdown at the least opportune time because and Mero, y'all know, I know y'all know them, right? They got one of the better late night shows. They got a dope podcast themselves. These guys all over the place. They were invited to the Beck breakfast club and DJ Envy felt some type of weight and he stormed off, at, off the interview after having a little tantrum. Everybody was like, yo, what happened to Envy? Why was he lunching? Like, why did he lose his cool, man? He just lost his damn mind. And as is the case, what I've been trying to tell you guys for months now is that when people have zero f to give, it's not something that just happens. It's an accumulation of events. So, without further ado, let's take a deep dive into what really happened and why DJ Envy lost all of his on Jesus America Check it out. Hello, DJ Envy. This is your central nervous system. You currently have 2 million f- to give. Enjoy. Looks like there's drama with the Breakfast Club as the extremely popular morning radio show got really personal this morning. Co host DJ Envy told the world that he and his wife are going through a rough patch because of his infidelity. They get this. He apparently was having an affair with former video vixen and star of Love & Hip Hop, Erica Mina. Envy, this is your central nervous system again. Please be careful. It's been a rough go of it lately. You only have 800,000 to give.
2: Yo, earlier this week, DJ Envy, <laughs> Envy, Envy, Envy accepted invitations to go on the talk show The Real with his wife and it got real, real quickly. Damn, why would you ever do this, bruh? DJ like, Envy. don't do this, bruh.
1: This man went on a TV show with five women to discuss how he was cheated on his
2: wife. Envy, what do you, bruh, I don't know, envy you. Bruh, like what are you doing? No shit, whoa, no shit, whoa. no shit, I'm faithful, oh, I'm faithful. I, I felt like a letdown, I felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I was Rashawn at home, but in the streets I was DJ Envy. Mm-hmm. So it was two different people, and. I didn't know DJ Envy. Right, and, <laughs> and it, it. it was, it was a situation. Well oh, you know the DJ, DJ Envy check code? So, what, what the f-? I don't, I don't know.
1: Warning, Envy. You have no to give. I repeat, you have zero left. Be careful.
2: I'm gonna start with this. You, you, owe my wife an apology. We owe your wife an apology. What do we do? Absolutely. When you insinuated that she was there for the check. Yes, she did. Uh, when you said she was there for the check. That's what you said exactly. I heard it. And so you I feel? Have the clip right now. Yeah, you owe her Let's hear the, the, you, the hold let's hear the let's hear the let's hear the clip. On hold on, you.
1: We got the clip you know on that. Me,
2: since 15. All right, let's Says, hear the clip. Hold on, I'm talking since 15. Before I had a dollar, she okay. was making more money than me. So to insinuate that she was there for a check or she's good with Envy's check is a, is a disrespect to me. Okay, can uh, I hear the clip? You know them DJ Envy checks, though? That's a, that's a little disrespectful, brother. That was a joke, Envy. For real? don't joke when you talk about my wife. All right, uh, I apologize, then. You see what I'm saying? You can talk about me all day. You can make right. jokes to me. But when it comes about my wife and my family, it's a little disrespectful. Envy would never do another joke you about you. you should know that. You should know that immediately. Come on. You thought you really thought that was a disrespectful. Yes, it was disrespectful. Maneuver? Yes, yeah. When my, 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 my wife heard it, she thought it was disrespectful too. Really? Absolutely disrespectful. Absolutely. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought we was cool. I thought we was, cool was cool. Too. I thought, I thought was cool that. Cool I thought it was too. like a jokey joke. I no, apologize. Joke. It's a jokey thing when you joke about. All right. Me. You could joke about me. I did all not day know long. that. I, I did not know that. We have serious. never had this conversation where you family, were like your boundaries is here. No, don't do this. Don't do this. We're having the conversation right now. You are telling me, and now I understand. You are telling us to not joke. you will not hear no more jokes about your family, about your kids, about you or nothing. All right. Man, I talk about child, I talk about you, but I'll never bring it to your wife and kids regardless. Okay, cool. You've established that. We understand. We're Claro. Boom.
0: Everything good? good? good. Everything's good.
2: good. Oh no. You just came
1: for two of the funniest motherfuckers in the world. Oh, sh**, Abort.
2: Abort. Abort. This morning, DJ Envy got light skinned gum feelings on the Breakfast Club. Wow, the Bisquick Bandit strikes again. That's right, the most illustrious <laughs> podcast of the world, the number one show at late night, was ambushed. Where you walked, it's a power one hundred five point <laughs> one. Unbelievable. We entered the octagon, no warning, to promo our tour. And, we're and what do we with get? Th- nothing feelings, but feelings. <laughs> nothing but light skinned feelings. Emotions. Let's roll this beautiful butter footage. Look at this. (laughs) He barely got up. (laughs) They had to use the surveillance camera angle. Wow. Is it
1: not used to people walking out? Are we the first people to to get get the host walk out of? Out here.
2: Know what it is? (laughs) He's like, Yo, I'm gonna go be light (laughs) skinned in my panic room. What's funny? I saw him get up and I was like, Oh, it's go time. But then he just left and I was like, Maybe he's getting water. But. Wow. You just, like, you just don't leave well enough alone, bro. <laughs> you see me looking out the
0: window? Like, what's, what's yo, going on now? Yo, Envy just walked out
1: Please, please put the camera on Envy's chair right now. <laughs> <laughs> yo! So, <laughs> show you on your bastard.
2: <laughs> the man's walked yo. off. The man wanted an apology. Yo. Got the apology. And still, and still walked that's off. That's it, bro.
1: Mm. You know what happened that morning? My homie was leaving his crib and Shorty was like, You better get in the ass this morning. morning. You
2: better get in the ass this
1: morning. He's like, yes. Oh man. Yes, man. Yo, I'm I'm a little skeptical when it comes to like radio or television beefs, but that junk was so hilarious, man. And you know the whole thing is like all of this started with Envy doing his wife dirty and then having having her come on television, promoting whatever. Like, you can't jump out there and be, like, in the public eye. You know what I'm saying? We all get sensitive about certain things. And I get them if you want. Like, Yo, don't talk about my wife. But Slim, that was not the way to go about it. You may, Your show is huge. You walk up off the set, and then you give them the last word? Oh, my goodness. DJ Envy single-handedly send y'all light-skinned like Bama's back. Klay Thompson, Barack Obama... Odell Beckham, everybody was moving y'all forward, man. And with one one move, one swipe, y'all back to square one, man. Shout out to Al B. Shores, Unibrow. All right, y'all, but that was halftime, man. We're going to keep it moving. First two quarters are done. We're going to finish up strong. we got two quarters left. One quarter, I'm going to tell you what Marvel did wrong in one of their recent moves. But before we get to the fourth quarter, it's the return of my cousin, Sadiq Abdul, it's our third topic this week. Third. He is a promoter, analyst, and a regular contributor to the Quarterly Report. My monthly guest, and more important, my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. Sadiq, what's going on, man? Hey, man,
0: what's up, cousin?
1: I'm chilling, man. But I'm excited because there's so much for us to talk to. We haven't talked about. We haven't had you on the show um, in a few weeks, even though you come on every month. So we're going to get to the game we play where you tell me if I'm tripping or not based on some of the topics that we've already discussed on the show. But before we get to that, the biggest story, at least around these parts, and especially as it pertains to you, uh, we got to talk about your new quarterback. You are someone who uh, bleeds burgundy and gold. So I want to hear your thoughts on Alex Smith. Um, Last week, I said, I believe he and Kirk Cousins are around the same tier. You know what I mean? Like, they're around the same place in terms of the full NFL quarterback spectrum. It doesn't mean that they're equals. It doesn't mean that they do the same. They have the same strengths and weaknesses, but overall I believe they're on the same tier. So I want to hear your thoughts. If you agree with me on that. And number two, I guess how do you feel having Alex Smith in and how do you feel now after this entire long quarterback saga, as it relates to Kirk cousins now that it's over how do you feel heading into this upcoming season?
0: All right, right to get to, I'm gonna get to the A part first. First, I'm happy to have Alex here, even if it's on a like kind of like a rent a quarterback type of situation. Maybe like a two year deal. You know, he's been here for two years or you know three years, anything like that. I'm okay with that. But um, to say that they're on the same tier, I would agree with that in a sense because basically, I look at I look at quarterbacks like like, like three different tiers. You know, you got the elite one where it's only really about four to six of them in the NFL. That right. way they could just flat out, even if they're injured, they could flat out, like, put a team on their back. You know, you got the Drew Brees. Because, I mean, I mean, other than, like, okay, Kirk went to Minnesota. But let's be real. Minnesota doesn't even win the game without that miracle play because Drew Brees brought that team back in the fourth quarter. Right. You know, they had the lead by one point before that miracle play. So, I mean, there's certain play, there's certain quarterbacks that are elite. So there's only about four to six elite quarterbacks. Then you have the middle tier, you know, I guess you want to say like the middle class, you know, the middle class, class quarterback. So that's what Alex Smith and Kurt both fall in at, but Alex Smith is in the higher tier of that category. I got you. then you just got then you just got the trash quarterbacks at the all the way to the, the Mike the Mike Glennons and I don't know who else, like the people there at the very bottom who are just trash, you know. Right. Mark Mark Sanchez and people like that or something. If you even want to still call him a quarterback, because he has you know, he's Second, third string, but those type of people come, those names come to mind right off, right off that. But, um, yes, I, w- I would agree that they're in the same tier. But let's say the tier is, all right, how many teams are there? 32. So I'm going to say, uh, they're about eight. Basically, you could break it up in about, like, uh, three categories, you know, something like that, maybe four categories, whether it's eight, 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 or something yeah. like that. If they're both in the same eight, or if they're in the same 16, if you want to say that, I would say Alex would be to the higher part of it and Kurt is more so either in the middle of the pack or kind of at the back of it. Now, I know Kurt passes stats and has, does great, but we're going to really see what he's made of when he has to go to a team where it's basically Super Bowl or bust. I'm talking, right. about, I'm talking about Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. Even though he's not going to play these quarterbacks, but sooner or later you might say him here 10 there. He has to overcome all of these guys. And wins the Super Bowl, you have to like you can't just go to the Conference Finals and be like, "Oh, it was a successful season," because they just did that. They just did that thirteen and three. So, in in that type of sense, no, I don't think you know. I just think he's a regular good tier quarterback. He's going to have a good season. You know, they probably make the playoffs, of course, because they probably they made it with their last three quarterbacks anyway. So, I feel like they should make it with Kirk definitely. But that doesn't mean there's going to be a successful season.
1: Yeah, you bring up an interesting point, and I think a lot of people may not know this nationwide um one of the biggest issues with kirk locally was that you know i believe throughout his entire career thus far as a starting quarterback he's only beaten three teams with a winning record you know um obviously that's not entirely fair on the quarterback but the cliche holds up right the quarterback gets the majority of the credit when they win and they get the lion's share of the blame when they lose so he if the quarterback is the most important position in football he does take some blame with that so that was one of the biggest knocks on kirk here was that you know he, he can't beat good teams and what people fail to remember is minnesota they have a, a number one a division winning record now so not only will they have to play aaron Rodgers twice a healthy motivated aaron Rodgers twice but you're gonna have to play the rams uh you're gonna i, I don't even remember who won the south you're gonna have to play the eagles and whoever they have in the AFC this year, so he's gonna it's sick and swim for him, and that we're gonna find out that pressure is gonna hit Kirk really early this upcoming season. Once again, guys, I'm joined with my cousin making his monthly appearance on the quarterly report, Sadiq Abdul. Uh, so Sadiq, you know, when you're on, we started doing this game where I talk about a certain or uh, a few topics to begin the show, and then you come on and let me know if I'm tripping or not. So earlier in the show, I kind of uh, let some frustration out at the direction of Andrew Wiggins. And for those of you who may not have heard, Wiggins, um, despite the fact that Minnesota is having their most successful season in over a decade, despite the fact that they're going to end the, the longest playoff drought in the NBA, and despite the fact that, that Aaron, Andrew Wiggins just signed a lucrative 140 some odd million contract, making him the highest-paid player currently when his contract kicks in on the T-Wolves, He's upset that he's a third option, even though it's clear Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler are better than him. So I, I'm just like I don't understand what's wrong with him. I don't understand that train of thought, and he's actually going to do himself more harm than good. Am I tripping for being this harsh on Andrew Wiggins?
0: Oh uh, no, I'm gonna say uh, I think he's tripping.
1: Okay, right.
0: yeah. uh, now forget you or, or or how the game is going. I'm gonna say he's tripping because truthfully. First off, he, this is where I say this is the young guys actually either their family structure or their friends or their um, their advisors or anybody in their corner sometimes have to just tell them you know straight out and truthfully what's going on because right. sometimes you, you shouldn't you shouldn't have yes men around you or people that's always oh you the best you the best no it's not you know and nothing's wrong with okay like you said they're about to break the playoff drop. it's okay to be a third option on a winning team exactly. for the very first time for the very first time. And I, it's not going to, and that's the thing. People got to have vision, and they got to got to have foresight to see that you're not. It's not going to be this way forever, you know. Yeah. First off, Jimmy is what, about twenty eight, maybe twenty seven, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly. Mm-hmm. Twenty eight, twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the way Thibodeau plays people, plays them, plays minutes. Jimmy's actually is more so like thirty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Jimmy. So he has to. So he has to uh, embrace this right now. You know, and t- make the payoff. Enjoy it. It's okay being a third. You know, third option. You know, and just learn what you can right now because even in another year yeah. or two, you'll become that, that – well, at least the second option because he's – honestly, I'm sorry, he's never going to be number one. Never <laughs> oh, be yeah, as yeah, yeah. long as Carl's there, you know, longer long as Cap's there, he's never going to be the number one. But right. it's okay it's okay to be the number two. You know, there's nothing wrong with being even the number two. And he'll be the number two in another year or two because Jenny alone is that type of uh, teammate that doesn't mind passing the torch. And actually, right. they were struggling at the beginning of this season because Jimmy was trying to find his way. Jimmy was the one who came in and the, and, and, and attempted to be the third option. Right. But he saw that, he saw that Wiggins wasn't grasping that role and didn't know how to, you know, take it because he's still young. You got know, you to realize just a just a timeline of 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 just your life and your youth that it's not going to happen overnight where you're the man or let me get the last shot all the time and all no. And there's even been games early in the season where Jimmy allowed him to be the man to get the last shot and stuff like that create off the dribble. But you got to realize nothing's wrong with being a third option on a playoff team that has not made the playoffs in forever. It's a growing process. Just It's okay. Live with the growing process. And that's what people, like I stated a couple of seconds ago, people in his corner have to tell him that.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, and, and, and to think about it, Andrew Wiggins, if he really pushed himself and applied himself, he's if a third option. You should be eating. You should be killing. Like you'd be one of the best third options in the league. Right, so instead of complaining that man, I'm the third option. I'm behind these two guys, two guys who probably make all NBA teams, mind you. You should be thriving right now. You should be murdering because there's no there's no real way. There's no team with three perimeter defenders or two def- perimeter defenders who who should be able to check you.
0: And see, my thing is with well with these kids that everybody wants the ball in their hand and be option. Ump- you know, I feel like this if you really have the dog in your heart to be something. Then how about digging on defense? That's a, and honestly, that's Wiggins' part sometimes where he is not, where he hasn't hit that next level because he lets people walk by him sometimes. Like I watch some of his games, I'm like, dog, have some pride in your defense a little bit. So right. in, in saying that, if you really want the ball, go take the ball. The guy, the guy in front of you, he's dribbling in front of you. Take the ball. Right. You know, you, know, you got long arms. God-given long arms, just six, seven, and all this with a wingspan of seven, one, and whatever it is. Take the ball. Simple as that. Dig in and say, you know what? I want this ball. And once you steal it, you, that's another opposite one more opportunity for you to dribble it down and get yourself a layup or a dunk on the fast break because you wanted that ball. As simple as that. So if you want to be the number one option, show that you want to be the number
1: one option. Once again, I'm joined by promoter, sports analyst, and of course my cousin Sadiq Abdul. We're going over a wide range of sports topics, and currently. He's in the midst of telling me if I'm tripping or not on some of the topics I've already talked about this far during the podcast. So I I have my head on straight. I'm not tripping as it pertains to Andrew Wiggins, but let's move it even forward a little bit. Uh, in the second quarter, I talked about tanking, and this has a, been a reoccurring issue for me, something that I found that I'm, I'm super passionate about. Not that I don't think tanking could ever work. Obviously, the most recent example of tanking working has been the 76ers. But I don't even know if you would call that. That's like a a, a long view. They didn't tank just for one year. They had a strategy on not or like for three years in a row to lose as many games and acquire as many picks as possible. So I don't know if you want to classify that as a standard tanking operation. But if you do, that's fine. But y'all know, Sneak, you know, and everybody listening, I'm a Knicks fan. Every single year, every single year, the Knicks are at some point talking about tanking just like the Orlando Magic, just like the Phoenix Suns. And these teams are always bad. So, yeah, tanking can work. But the, the, the best strategy is not to tank. In history, evidence shows you this. So I've been having these battles online and personally, you know, when I see my friends or whatever, talking about how tanking is overrated. The the actual practice of tanking is overrated. So, Sadiq, am I tripping? Is tanking really the, the end-all, be-all the best way to build a franchise? Or am I right in saying that, you know what, tanking actually does more harm than good?
0: If you're crazy, I'm in the crazy boat with you right now. Because I gonna tell you, I absolutely hate tanking to the sense of you're building a culture of it's okay to lose. Right. And see, don't get me wrong. If you're going to tank and get a new guy coming in, a, a top-tier rookie, like a, a number one elite rookie, then cut the rest of your team. Find a way to get the rest of those guys off because those guys from the year before are still going to come to this new team. Even if they're going to be winning and all that, you've created a culture of losing. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? They don't know how to finish games. Um, they don't know how to either communicate as a team and, and have each other's back I mean, and things are like that because it's not going to help. And then, and then in another, in the fast, as fast as you keep tanking, it might happen a one-year thing, but then let's say it, you don't improve and it happens two years and then three years. And next thing you know, you're up for a contract for one of your top guys, and he's not going to want to stay because he's never exactly. won. Because exactly. Because somebody like – I want to say somebody like this, and most briefly is I can't stand that they're, they're tanking, but from the outside looking in, it always looks like they're tanking for the last three or four years. has been Phoenix Sun. Right. Now, now we all know that Booker, as good as he is, he might not never make an all-star team in the West because it's loaded with guards and just up-and-coming everybody but we all know that he's a, a elite shooter, just a great player, you know, Just, but he might not never make an all-star team if he stayed with Phoenix, and not right. just Phoenix. I mean, in four years when that comes up, his contract is up. How are you going to actually sell him on staying if you're the GM of that team and somebody mm-hmm. else is coming coming that's uh, up and coming on a winning team or actually a winning culture? How do you keep him? Unless yeah. he's restricted. You know, unless he's a restricted sometimes one type of contract where he's restricted, you know, but then even still, somebody might outbid you and give him something outrageous that you can't even match. Yeah. You know, so it's like, no, I think it's terrible. Like, all the thing, it, it breeds lose, And that's not the way you want to go about things. Now, I'm going to tell you, what the best way to, to 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 build a winning organization is to put your money into a scouting and GM team. Like, exactly. put, your millions, put your millions into that. Don't just give them a couple thousand contract, you know, or a 500000 contract or whatever, and just paying them something regular or $1 million. Now go ahead and put five million into that team. And they are the ones where say you're picking instead of picking first, you finish even though you you fight to win as many games as you can, but you now you're picking tenth instead of first. There's a lot of talent that you can still pick a tenth that will help you win for the future. As much as we're here in D C area, and I love I mean, I'm 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 i falling too. I like Otto the way he plays. Otto and Yanna were in the same draft. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> god, if we could pick two I mean, we pick Otto third. If you're telling me Giannis went eleven or tenth, in the same draft, like,
1: come on, man. Like, I would switch that in a heartbeat. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Otto fan. I've been a fan of Otto for years now. But, I mean, come on. If you got a team with John Wall, Bradley Bill, and Giannis, I mean, that's a, champ, that's a championship contender, you know? So, you're right. I agree 100% with you, man. I mean, you can find great players outside of the top ten. Outside of the top ten. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my cousin Sadiq Abdul. He's a promoter and analyst and a monthly contributor to the Quarterly Report. Sadiq, man, it's been a while, but it was a great interview. Thank you again for coming on to the show, and I can't wait to talk to you again in April. Uh,
0: You know what it is, man.
1: All right, another thanks again to my cousin Sadiq, but we've had a lot of basketball discussion thus far on the show, so we're going to step outside the sporting realm for our fourth and final topic this week. Fourth If you're like myself, last week, I believe it was on Friday, Marvel released their most recent trailer for Avengers Infinity War. And I got to tell you, man, that joint that had me ready. I was like, yo, let's get it. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to see it. I told you guys in the past that, you know, I didn't grow up reading these comics. And when these movies first started coming out, I wasn't even a, a fan of them. But recently, man, and, and it's genius the way they string all these movies together. So if you see a few of them that you like, you're kind of already immersed into the the overall theme, like the plot line. So on Friday, everybody's talking about, man, Infinity War, this shit looks what's up, man. Yo, people who don't know anything about these characters, they see Black Panther and Wakanda, and they're like, yo, who is this Thanos guy, my sister? I talk to you guys about my sister a lot. She's not even a, a big Marvel comic fan, you know what I mean? She saw Black Panther, she enjoyed it. And she's hitting me up like, yo, who is this Thanos guy? What's what's going on? And now her and you know her boyfriend and they're, they're like going through the binge trying to get her up to speed about what's going on. And and again, it's genius. So everybody's super excited, anticipating, you know, what's in store. People are trying to guess who's gonna die, who's not gonna make it the whole nine. But while everybody was focused on Infinity War, I was catching up on jessica jones season two now if you're not familiar and these aren't like huge characters but marvel has done like a pretty pretty dope job man that we all know what to do on the the big screen like in the movie theaters but on netflix they've got a few series much darker than the tele or than the movies right these are like adult themed television shows they've got like a few of them now they got daredevil luke cage jessica jones and a guy named iron fist Before, maybe like two, two and a half, three years ago, I had no idea who any of these people were. I knew Daredevil because of the failed um, Ben Affleck movie way back when, you know? And I'm sorry, they also have The Punisher, right? So they have all these characters on Netflix. And again, they're very adult, very dark-themed show, and they do a really good job with them. Jessica Jones, without any question, season one of Jessica Jones was the best of, their netflix series and they've done really good stuff but jessica jones cl- easily it's the best one they've ever done and it's a hero that i never knew maybe you guys listening have never heard of her either and one of the reasons why the series was so good is different man it's so different you know you got a, a a woman lead who's very strong independent man um they 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 talk about really dark issues stuff that the movies will never even touch but one of the biggest things the biggest reasons why the show was so good was their villain you know and you've heard me say it before when i was critiquing the star wars the recent star wars movie man if you're going to have a movie a tv show a series a special that's going to delve into hero like good versus evil bad guy versus good guy you better make sure you have a believable a captivating villain a villain that really is like, yo, this is a problem, right, and the villain for Jessica Jones season one, there was a guy named Kilgrave, and the name sounds so silly, and you know, he has the power, he can, he can, uh, he can say something to you, and make you do it, right, it's telekinesis, like, he says something to you, and you have no choice but to do it, it's just, but it, I know it sounds mystical and his name is Kilgrave. and It sounds all crazy. It really isn't. And you have, if you've seen it, if you've seen the, the, the series, you know what I'm talking about. You know how great it is. If you haven't, you, I, I promise you, if you watch the first episode, you're going to be kind of hooked. It's really that good. And he was, I am not being hyperbolic when I say this. He is the greatest villain ever, in my opinion, without question. Not, not just Marvel. You know, I'm not talking about just Killmonger and Vulture and Loki. I'm not just talking about superhero movies. I'm not talking about the Joker and whomever. I'm talking about, if you want to talk about any villain, No Country for Old Men, Anton Shakur. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Anton Shakur was one of the dopest villains of all time. Killgrave was better than him. I'm not sicing it. It's It's just such a dope villain. And that is what separ- in part is what separates Jessica Jones season one from all the other Netflix series, but it also separates it from some of the movies. You know? I talked about it when uh, my guy Mark Moore was here a few weeks back, and I was like, the more recent of the Marvel films, the reason I feel that they're so much better is because that the villains are so much better. There's a legit conflict, a legit threat. And my favorite Marvel movie, Civil War, they went to a whole nother level where, yeah, there was an antagonist, but he was like uh, a secondary role. The main conflict wasn't because of the quote-unquote villain in in Captain America's Civil War. The main conflict was between the two heroes and just how they had different beliefs. They saw things differently, different ideals, which is the case in most conflicts that happen in everyday life. But with Kilgrave, he wasn't for trying to have world domination. He wasn't trying to, you know, uh, start a revolution. He was a self-centered guy who, by having some type of disease, essentially, or a virus, had this gift that was kind of strengthened by his parents and his upbringing. And he was so self-centered because his parents left him, you know, that he just turned into this This evil, and you know what? There are parts of the series that you actually are, you like him, maybe even feel for him a bit, but then you remember some of the evil, and I mean, he was truly evil. Some of the evil things he did. And it's evil where it's not like, you know, he's trying to, you know, steal a country's money. You know, it's nothing like on that large of a scale. He wasn't that large of a scale villain. He was a very small-time villain, but did... Things that hit close to home because it's real. It's like, yo, this guy is really just an awful person, but it was charismatic. He had humor. All the all the boxes that you want from a villain. He checked them off while still being absolutely evil. But this is the thing where they failed. Spoiler alert. They killed Killgrave in the first season. <laughs> you can't. How do you have a great villain and kill him off? I told you one of the other Netflix series that uh, Marvel has is um, Daredevil. And they, they also had a great villain named Kingpin. And it's, they didn't kill Kingpin, he, they arrested him. And they teased him in the second season of the, of the series. Because they know they have, they have a winner. When you have a winning hand, don't fold it. String that milk it as long as you can. String it out as long as you have to. OK, I mean, when when you're talking about the best villains in Marvel's history, you obviously I said Kilgrave is the greatest villain ever. But you got Kilgrave, you got Kingpin and then you got, you know, Killmonger, Loki and uh, Vulture. It's five. It's five of them, right? Two fifths are dead. <laughs> you know? They killed off Killmonger and they killed off Killgrave. Like, I guess they not have kill in your name because you won't make it. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, well, so I'm watching season two and I'm not going to spoil anything with that because it, I think it just came out like maybe a month ago or so. But I remember talking to Mark years ago after I finished watching season one of Jessica Jones, and I'm telling them, I'm like, they're going to have a problem because she beat this guy by herself, Killgrave I'm speaking about. She toppled the best villain I had ever seen. so what what could you possibly do to top that if you have a second season? What is going to be believable that makes you think that she't can't, she can't outdo? like she'll be in trouble? What could possibly happen that make you worry that the, that the you know the hero, right, the lead character will be in some trouble? because she already topped the, the A number one, the A1 villain. And she killed him by herself, no help. So when you're when you're when you're making these type of things, it's like that's something important to think about because if if there's no, if you if you knock if you climb Mount Everest on your first try, there's not going to be a worry about you trying to climb you know the 15th greatest mountain of all. You know what I mean? Like there's there's no concern now. And I remember speaking this to my guy Mark uh some years ago and i was like they're gonna have a problem and that's one of the issues it's the the central issue really of what kind of halts season two because and 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 as the writer you could tell they they knew it because again i'm not going to spoil anything but the antagonist in season two is completely different like the whole the whole arc of the season two is just completely different there isn't it's not a a standard good versus evil storyline and you know i salute them they tried But they failed because of a mistake. Killing Kilgrave was an absolute mistake. Just like in Luke Cage. Mahashara Ali. He's a superstar now, man. He's an Oscar award winner. He's going to be the face of the third season of True Detective. He was cottonmouth in Luke Cage. And they killed him. And they killed him halfway through the season. And if you've seen Luke Cage, the first half of the season is far greater than the second half. And I don't believe in coincidence. You guys have heard me say this time and time again. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Siri takes a dive the moment they kill Cottonmouth. The moment they kill the mother. And I'm just thinking, who made this idea? Marvel has a hard time making great villains. They just have. Think of all the early, all the early Marvel films. Who was the who was the villain that you was like, oh, this guy was good? Like, Loki is the only one. And that's the reason they, can't, they haven't killed Loki yet. He's been in, like, four movies now. <laughs> you know? And they've been milking the Loki cow as long as they could. And God bless him. But you've got characters that they've created that are far better. And you kill him after 13 episodes? You kill off Killmonger? Oh. So as much as Marvel got right, with the infinity war trailer, as much as they've gotten right recently with their movies and building all this momentum and all this anticipation for these next two Avengers films and whatever phase, what phase three, phase four, whatever the hell we at. They've done all that, right. But on a lesser level, especially with, I mean, these Netflix series, again, if you haven't checked them out, I I really, I couldn't recommend them more if you like this type of stuff. And again, even if you find yourself not really a big fan of superhero movies and all this other stuff, these Netflix films, these Netflix series are very dark. You know, they talk about some real stuff. It's gory, graphic, the whole nine, man. It's not, it's not. You're not gonna see Captain America running around in tights. It's nothing, li- it's nothing like that. It's real, real dark, and they're very good. And season one of Jessica Jones is amazing, and it's amazing primarily, in my opinion because of its villain and what Jessica Jones and all the people she's rocking with what they have to do why they are legitimately fearful all of them are, are afraid for good reason and you kill them you kill the golden goose ah, I guess you can't win them all but I absolutely am trying to kill every and win every single episode and win all of you guys hearts and appreciation with each and every show that we do each and every Thursday. I'm so appreciative for all of you all listening, checking in, rocking with me. Again, make sure you get in contact with me and the show on all the different platforms that we have. You can email me at quarterlyreport@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can tweet me at Quarterly Show on Twitter. Again, that's Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. We're now on Stitcher. So if you listen to the podcast, you don't like iTunes, Apple, Google Play, whatever the case may be, Spotify. If those aren't your speed, head on over to Stitcher. Tell your friends. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, all over. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find the quarterly report. and we're growing. Each week we're having bigger and greater numbers. I appreciate all you guys, all the words of mouth that you're spreading the show telling your friends man i really appreciate it i thank you and i can't believe it next week it's going to be our 50th episode i can't wait i hope that you guys join me next week next thursday on the quarterly report